Talk about this, talk about that. Chuck Yates needs a job. I had a point, I don't know where it's at. Chuck Yates needs a job. Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Um, Pretty cool stuff today. We actually have more drilling on today. And in the long lines of a non-lives matter, we'll uh, we'll stick to that. But more, welcome into the uh, podcast. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for letting me be here. It's going to be fun. Or not. So or whatever. Not. We'll, we'll just figure or that not. out as we get. Yep. So let's start off with this. Not, not trying the docs and all, but what can you tell folks about yourself in terms of just you know, who you, who you are, where you come from, background stuff. What are you comfortable sharing? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, my background has primarily been on the operator side and the service side um, through, you know, mid, mid to late 30s. Uh, started my career uh, international for almost a decade, deep water exploration. So, you know, when I, when I came back to the U.S., the, the concept of shale was incredibly foreign to me. No, um, <laughs> no yeah. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, still is to some people, apparently. Uh, and, uh, you know, then worked my way uh, into different roles and positions, both, you know, being dropped in down through private equity and then back into other companies. And so, you know, had an interesting mix of, of being, you know, uh, some engineering life and a bit more on the exploration side. And then now a much more focused, I would say, on the on the technology side, both on conventional oil and gas and you know as we expand out into some other avenues too so uh you know i can say some of my actual questions where i'm looking at that and trying to pry out on twitter you know doesn't get nearly the responses as some of my other things so we'll 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 keep trying to to poke the bear on what's next for for energy so for for eft you're gonna have to like carry the oil field service banner here on the uh chuck pod because uh I'm getting DMs saying, hey, man, these finance guys are great that you keep bringing in, but we want real oil filled out there. So uh, no pressure here, dude. Yeah, no. And that's uh, if that was sort of the origin story of my account. Right. Uh, You know, trying to always talk it up and be the forever optimist. It was something after I can't remember which year's Nate, but uh, a friend of mine saw me there and I think I had, you know, two or three phones out and I was in the lobby and he said, oh man, there he is probably talking to somebody about how he invented the cube and, you know, <laughs> there's there's not enough stack pay in the world he can't handle and things like that. So that was sort of the, the, the birthplace of the idea of being that forever optimist, especially especially more so on the ops and, and services side. The You know, because what I found interesting about, about you is... And I'll kind of go back to a previous podcast. I had T. Sean Shannon on, who's a stand-up comedian. He wrote for Saturday Night Live. And one of the things he talked about on that pod is, you know, you have sort of like popular comedians and stuff. And it's always cool to go to those guys like Seinfeld, Lena, whoever, and say, all right, who makes you laugh? And I won't give away any secrets from dms because what happens in dms stays in dms but you know popular folks out there on eft if you're always like all right who's the funniest person out there time and time again all the big guys uh always say it's more drilling i mean more drilling is hysterical so you are you are the comedian's comedian that's high praise if i can you know steal a line from inside the cage uh you know it, it 
It, it really begins with just sort of what I think is funny. I mean, I've never really approached it to, to, to try and gain a lot of followers or, or, you know, make my mark per se. It's just a, it was an exercise to, to make myself laugh first and foremost and just, you know, hopefully make others laugh and, 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 and just a different way to look at ourselves across the industry. And, you know, sometimes if you're not laughing, you're crying. Right. So, so it was just, a, you know, it's a, it's a fun way to poke fun at yourselves and, and the industry you work in. And in a way, almost to have, you know, some, some self-reflection and, and reverence to it. Because I think, you know, the, the, the best type of comedy comes from something you, you do care deeply and passionately about. And, you know, you know you're so ingrained into that. You, you have the material and the know-how to, to, to really, really poke at it. And and I think that's where a lot of that comes from. It's a it's a it's a place of love, but you know you can really take a good swing at it from time to time. Well, you know, I mean, serious artistic creators talk about that it's something inside them they need to get out, and that ultimately winds up being what is the most cherished of art, whether that's song, painting, you know, any of that stuff. And you see time and time again that the quote unquote artist that tries to write to be popular never moves you, you know, and all that. And so it's amazing that we're like talking about EFT memes and, you know, borderline dick jokes yep. <laughs> yep. about artists and expressing and stuff. But, you know, uh, it's it's been a very interesting community. And I mean, there are some 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 incredible accounts or, you know, the, the meme lords of EFT or. Or whatever you want to label them, but I mean, it is, it's, it's incredible to see people, you know, either DM you or message you, hey, how did you do this, or what did you use to make this, and you know, just from people's own credit, and and that's that's what I get back in my DMs a lot, and I'll say, oh, I use this, or 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 I thought about this, and I'll get a lot of messages back where saying like, man, the personal satisfaction or me laughing throughout myself doing this was much more rewarding than I thought you know, it would be. And so I think it's a it's a different tool in a way for people to be expressive, whether it's a single image, a video, you know, now we've got people, you know, paying to make, you know, some some cameos on <laughs> <laughs> So so God knows where that avenue's gonna go because you could open up a whole new, you know, I I would I'm trying to see how much it might be worth to get, you know, maybe Snoop Dogg in so we can finally put an end to Poundgate. You know? <laughs> if, that, if, that, uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, one night for the major wine flex, I drank Snoop's wine mm -hmm. and I, 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 I sent that out just multiple times, pictures of it and all. And I was always tagging Snoop in the hope that he'd reply. And uh, unfortunately, he never did. But if Snoop makes it on Cameo, that's our thing, man. We got to go put Poundgate in Snoop's hands. I think so. I mean, maybe, I mean, Cheech and Chong might be on there, right? I mean, you. Oh, yeah. Let's go right? old school with it. <clears throat> yeah, you you must be able to get somebody on there. If not, you know, we'll see where that goes. But, I mean, that that really opened it up to who knows how much potential, right? Because, I mean, we saw the fundraising power EFT has for a good cause. I mean, to, to throw shade at people could be even higher. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're absolutely right at that the uh you know what's interesting though about the whole throw shade thing about eft is i mean there's no question public company ceos get the brunt of it and all that but at least what i've found is if you're in the community and you're mixing it up with folks and and making points and the like 
I mean, I get shade thrown at me all the time, but I, I generally speaking, I also get a DM at the same time. Hey, did I go too far, Chuck? I'll, I'll take it down if you want. And I'm always kind of like, you know, <laughs> good grief. I've had worse. Don't worry. I appreciate you saying that, but leave it up and stuff. So I've actually found the, for all the outsiders who aren't on Twitter, mixing it up with EFT every day of them. Oh, those guys are just trolling me, blah, 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 blah. I've always said, nah, it's got a pretty big heart, you know? It does. And that's, that's almost what I, you know, if you call it a shtick or a persona, but that's really what, uh, I think I've been called the, the, the happy meal or the PG rated version of creating memes. Cause it's more, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it's more of just a, a wholesome look or even a, a different play on commentary that you see across the space. But with that sort of persona of, of more drilling, when we talk about throwing shade, I, it, I've almost created a monster. Because, you know, you'll get tagged on the people that are really championing it, whether it's from a different aspect where they want to see activity go bananas or, you know, it'll be tagged on like, oh, here it comes again. Right. You know, we're not going to practice uh, discipline or I had no chance in hell. These guys are going to stick to their guns like more drill- drilling will return. So I get to play on sort of both sides of that avenue because I'll just get tagged into it and and, you know, just see which way is probably more really to make myself laugh more and then see which way people like stuff. So. Do you, do you actually go into the search and search M-O-A-R? Because I bet you're getting not tagged, but just more is said multiple times that you miss. Oh, I'm I'm 100% sure it does. And I, I, I don't go actively out looking for it. There are some people who will tag me religiously. Um, there, there are some people who now use it like they would spelling. Like it's not even, you know, I'll just get tagged into the sentence because it's spelled like that, which... Um, and then there's sometimes we're not, but people will spell it the same way. And and if I do find it, I'll usually throw something up that'll make, you know, make somebody laugh or it's a, or it's the alternate sort of gif or, or message from what they were hoping for. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'll get a DM after they're like, I don't know how you pop up when like I write this, I'm not even tagging you. And it's like, well, sometimes I'll see it or, or people will send me stuff like, oh, you got to reply to this. Yahoo. Right. Right. And so. It's uh, it's it's an interesting you know character I've developed I guess. <laughs> so do me this two three twenty five I don't care how many. What are the funniest memes that you've done? You've seen whatever kind of what what what's made you laugh the most? I guess we could start with myself. I think you know the 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 first one that that really made me laugh that I think took off the whole thing and why I get tagged for every cube or stacked photo ever created now was, you know, I had a, I can't remember where it was from. I think it was a hard energy pick where they had, you know, a single well next to a full cube. And I wrote on the single well, old and busted. And then on the cube, new hotness. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and I just posted something like, you know, I drive the new hotness. And, and it was one of my, I think, I think uh, Chris from Atherton, (laughs) You, right. you used it at a conference once too and just made me laugh so hard to see like my memes up on a conference slideshow so that 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 was one of my first ones and then i think uh you know i i did one too for for nape that again really made me laugh don't know if other people really got into it but it was some promo photo where you know the stereotypical two guys badges talking to somebody and they seem really excited and i had something like man our our, our cisco formation wells return 90% IRR like within three months, right? And the other guy said, Cisco, dude, love that song. Dumps like a truck, am I right? <laughs> and and so, you know, that that one made me real chuckle. But I guess I guess my big ones, right? I mean, I, I've kind of 
really built a relationship with some people who uh, will send me stuff for rig counts or frack spreads. And so some of the Friday mood videos have, have been really, uh, have been really fun to make because they'll either take on a theme or again, the forever optimist of, of rigs going up. And, you know, I think I've, I've mentioned with you a few times when like that'll come out and you're like, don't you dare. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, you know, look, you know, we're, we're, we're still what, like 43% down year over year. And so it's like, Chuck, we can add a couple, all right, <laughs> come on. And so, you know, that, that for th- those have always been fun. I, I, the, the most requests I ever had, we had talked about it through, you know, either people I know or some of the DMS and EFT was, was probably got to be the, the, the BP don't go full, uh, renewable video that that uh, we we worked through and, and it was a based on tropic thunders you know don't go oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah so so that one that one was probably one of my favorites too just because they were you know there was there were a lot of unsung heroes on uh in terms of input and and people were really kind of we we had been throwing the idea around for a while and uh you know w- when i did one scene somebody was like you gotta you gotta make it and then i saw somebody do a report that said like bp you know, I think they even said, like, don't go full retard. Right. And as soon as I saw that actual report, I was like, all right, we can make this one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we, we like, can do this. We can, we can do this. But, I mean, there's – in terms of other accounts and memes, like, I mean, there there are so many, right? You you had Bomber on. He's he's really come to his own in, in some of the video stuff he's made. And now, you know, him and, him and Colin are doing cameos. So, like we said, God knows where that goes. But you know some of the other guys too. I think mean, Deep Seas Oils. I mean, he's. I mean, those guys churn out stuff like nightly. Right. So I mean, they uh, they they really put in the work, uh, if you will. And so it's just interesting to see how that blossoms and gives people a different creative outlet to do their stuff. I mean, like I said, that's the most of my DMs aren't really about you know maybe even work related stuff or the field. They'll just be, like, hey man, we want to make some of these. Like you know, how do you go about it? What's the best stuff to do? And so. You know, just helping people discover that and build a voice for their own. Like, you know, the the top three accounts might change in terms of what you're looking after and what you're going, uh, you know, going for here in the next couple of months. Who knows? Because, I mean, people people are getting creative. Well, you know, what's so funny is, I mean, how many have I sent out now? 75 memes about Frack Slap being short. Sure. The funny thing is he's not actually short. He's like 5'10". so so it's just the fact it could be true that i think that i think makes it funny and makes it kind of fair game but of those 75 memes that i've sent out i've probably created two of them people are dming me these things saying you know hit frack slap up with this or chuck reply with this that that is something i find as well whether it's a uh some big headline or something we know is just so ridiculous. And that's that's when I'll see some DMs blow up like, man, you got to make a video of this or, oh, what about this idea? So, you know, like I've, I've talked to New Hire a bit or whether it's Bomber and some of these other guys where just like, you know, and it's also about time management, right? I mean, we always joke sometimes with like, God, real life is getting in the way of my meme time. <laughs> exactly. Right? And so some guy, you know, that sometimes will do is like, hey, man, I've got this idea. I've got zero time to put this together. Like, go go roll with it. So it's a it's an interesting, you know, community in that regards. But also, too, I mean, I find it really interesting because whether it's a picture or a vid, I mean, People people share the living hell out of these things, and if they're if they're well done, you can tell a lot in a single picture, you know, or or a video. And so, you know, in some instances, it's just a different way to convey information and you know have a little fun at the same time. So, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, I've joked that I need an intern to run my social media accounts because it's tough to kind of keep up with because, you know, promoting the podcast, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? I mean, I just like, I tr- what I've kind of settled on is during the week, because I drop one every Wednesday morning, about twice a day, I'm going to shoot out a link to it and I'm going to do it at different times each day. You know, yeah. and I always try to put something different each time so that people actually take a look at it and all. But just the number of times you get tagged. If I go into a meeting, it's a three hour meeting. You come out and you're like, holy crap. Yeah, I never even thought, you know, a, a year ago or two years ago, I would ever understand any of this. But I, I fully feel you there where and and I, I don't post as much as you do. And like some people have said, I think I've seen they're like, man, you, you know, my, my frequency isn't very high. Uh, I don't reply to a lot of stuff. Again, it's it's more of just happy to put it out there, and if people like it, they they like it. But I have no idea how some of these people with larger accounts, and I know they're very engaged, and you get so many responses. I mean, I'd throw my phone in a river. I think if it, <laughs> right. if it ever got to that level, because you know it is you know it is a addicting to some degree. It's an engagement community, and you 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 want to try and do some things that are around, but. You know, I I have a limited number of followers, and so the the I completely understand the need when people say, "Oh, somebody manages my social media or my Twitter account." Because if you you know, it's as that beast can be as big as and ugly as hairy as you want it to be, right? Right, and and if uh, and it will consume a <laughs> a lot of your time. No, that, that's totally right. If there was if there was something you wanted to change, or something you wanted folks in EFT to know that's more serious than than just the the jokes the memes and all that is there anything like that you know I I think uh, again kind of going back to the persona of uh, of what I put out there in terms of the optimist side is I think you know it it, it morphed a little bit too to become a champion a bit more I think on some of the other sectors we don't poke fun of about or realize some of the the harsher aspects of what the things we're screaming for means right i mean one of the biggest things that uh you know we we talk about the high oil price is great you know some of the things we see in consolidation is 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 awesome and you know these operators might actually uh generate some cash for once and start to shore up stuff but you know when you when you look at sort of wide discipline what does that mean for the service sector how much of that is still you know, going to be materially depressed. How does that grow? Uh, things of that nature. You know, we, we we don't talk about that as much, I, I guess, on EFT. It much again, it is energy finance Twitter, so it tends to lean more towards the the capital and financial elements of these things, and really focus on some of the bad actors in the EMP space. But you know, I think I think as more people do get involved, because I know we have an unbelievable amount of lurkers in that community. You know, as more people do get involved, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, people get vocal about other sectors of the uh, of the energy industry. I don't know if I really answered your question there, but <laughs> whatever the uh, that's always the uh, the great politician. Whenever they get a question, what you do is you rephrase the question. You give a bridge sentence and then you give the answer you wrote six weeks ago with your uh, political consultant. You know, here's what I'm going to say. But the uh, no, because. I mean, and it's also difficult because it's 140 or 280 characters, whatever it is these days. It's hard to have something of substance kind of beyond just a meme, a funny, and and that. But I will say, <clears throat> and this is going to sound so hokey, 
and you know we can cue the Bruce Springsteen song up in the back and I'll get on my soapbox and all I kind of feel a little bit of a responsibility as the old guy to just try as much as I can to share what life was like back in the you know 80s and 90s in the oil business cuz I I think you know I don't think there's an appreciation for the younger folks of you can drill a dry hole I mean we we drill uneconomic wells today but we don't turn it on and nothing comes out sure. and that used to happen and that, that's how I started my career yeah and and it what, what's crazy to me and not to interrupt here but it uh, I see the the headlines they'll even put for things happening in Guyana where it's like big swing and a miss or you know really you know didn't achieve the objective I was like if they're if they're really like poking around the outside of the play and they drill and they find a section and it's uneconomic by you know offshore standards that's that's a part of the program but you know right. you like it's so strange that whether you see certain headlines or people have almost forgotten that where it's like you know hey not you're not hitting dingers every time, especially offshore deep water exploration. And so it's it's very interesting to see like how people even spin narratives on that. And it's like, did you just not know that because you've only grown up maybe covering onshore shale, which I might lose some followers here, but for is is relatively boring right. compared to, you know, some of the larger big drilling programs that happen offshore and true exploration work. I mean, where we're at now, you know, I mean I can't I'm 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 personally pretty tired of hearing the term, you know, mow the lawn and some of the things we do onshore and so, manufacturing yeah, process. Right? And I yeah. mean, you know, uh, no, it's it's exactly that. One of the one of the things I'm I'm working on, and uh, I hope to get it done. I don't know if I will, but I want to do a podcast, a documentary, something on Clayton Williams, because I mean, talk about just old school wildcatter. I mean, if I think the younger folks had any sort of appreciation, the risk you had to take to find these big oil reserves and all you had to go through the limited amount of science. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like people were out there with the divining rod trying to find things, but I mean, you shot 3d seismic, you saw a structure, but that was it. It could be full of water, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I remember deep, deep water Gulf of Mexico. If anyone has worked there, you know, you've got, huge salt layer that you know depending on what seismic stuff you're doing that salt layer makes everything you know it's you're, you're you best be out there with a divining rod because until <laughs> you get down there and actually get to calibrate that stuff you know you don't know if stuff is five feet thick or 500 feet thick and so you know there's there's i mean i'm i'm always going to be probably a little biased to to super exploration and, and deep water stuff just given my background but uh yeah i mean it's uh uh yeah, no, I mean it it uh I always joke that that we kind of went through call it the the nineties, particularly with the advent of three D seismic, and maybe let's call that ninety five, ninety seven, somewhere in there where where we really started hitting that pretty hard. I mean, that was the age of the geologist. I mean, it really was. The geologist was the rock star. I mean, today I guess the drilling engineers used to be the rock star. We don't have any more rock stars right now in the business. Although this was really funny. I was a, a buddy of mine that's a GP at one of the private equity firms called me the other night. And I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? And he goes, I'm fucking smart again. <laughs> Nothing like $65 oil to, to, uh, to Somebody once told me the rock is the rock star. There you right? go. 
where, okay. you know, if we drill, if we drill a good well, it is, you know, all praise to the rock, right? You drill a bad well, right? And it comes on bad, right? Oh, it's, it's the completion engineer's fault. Right? <laughs> right exactly. So it's always, uh, you know, you all, <laughs> you always praise the rock. That's funny. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, let's roll it in. So I haven't had a well-filled service, uh, person on and, uh, Tell me about the industry. What's going on there? We've had, you know, a lot of finance folks on. I get DMs all the time, though, said, you know, get some real oil field in here. And I know EMP land. I don't know a lot about service, except that it felt like historically it was always EMP on steroids. And <laughs> so, so what's going on out there? I mean, current, current environment still a lot of pain. Because you know we the the service sector as a whole is is lagging on consolidation and really shoring up things you know uh, as opposed to EMP land. Right? I think last year, uh, specifically North America, did a really good job of just stemming the bleeding. Yeah. Right. And so you saw uh, a lot of people make very very quick decisions that were you know unfortunate but necessary to you know preserve companies. I mean, Ocosta had a very large human capital component to it. Um, which is un, un, unfortunate, but uh, really sort of necessary based on where we see the future of the North American land market. And so from uh, from a standpoint of where we're at is, you know, I, I think the the sector itself has has just kind of wrapped its head around, okay, like, you know, we're, we're, we're treading water now, uh, what's next? And so, you know, I always use the analogy of, okay, so we, we tore the house down last year just to, to, you know, rebuild something we could live in, but you know, what does that build out look like going forward? And and that's really, I think, what the the, the broader sector, because, you know, we, we use the OFS term very loosely um, when we talk about oil field services, right? There's, what, 80, 80 pubcos, probably, you know, 200 and call it the top five major divisions, but there's hundreds, if not thousands in the, in the broader spectrum of that. And so the biggest question is what's next, right? Um, and so I think you'll hear every, you know, major... Uh, executive leader or CEO say like you know M and A has to happen right we're yeah. we're we're massively lagging behind our customer base uh, it has to happen both from you know our ability to reduce the amount of people that are out there maybe you know you get some pricing pressure and and, and margins back because you've taken out some of that and and really just right size for where we're at and I'm I'm using that across everything trailing completion, pumping, you name it, right? Because there's there's still some stuff that is, you know, I think we we reacted very fast to um, in terms of cold stacking and things of that nature that it's going to be a challenge maybe from a personnel and equipment standpoint in certain divisions to really ramp back up. But looking at the broader area of how, I would say, how far certain companies have gotten diverse and spread themselves, let's say for the last eight years, really, or maybe even 10. So, you know, when we look at what's next for the sector in terms of either activity or the type of development, um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, people really hone back in on what they're good at or what is needed. And you're going to see a lot of divestitures and, and, you know, people shedding certain divisions of companies that, you know, might make sense elsewhere. It just doesn't make sense either with what they have or, you know, what they foresee moving forward, right? I mean, if you look at some of the big guys like, you know, um, you know, Schlum did a big job of that and really what they pulled out of North America and then, you know, them moving over to Liberty. Uh, and and that type of trend will will continue. I mean, you'll you'll see it publicly in the big guys and you'll see it to some degree um, throughout the private sector as well. And so, you know, uh, I think 
one of the main driving factors there too is it's just synergies are a lot harder uh, in the service space. Yes, you've got some maybe you know back office capacity, and there's some complementary things either on a on a manufacturing side or or uh, something else that you can capitalize on. But you know there are a lot of different segments within you know the broader OFS that might not stack well inside a company or make sense at all. And so you know does it does it sort of nicheify a bit more? Maybe. But. So, to, so to that point, and it's never happened. And I use I I always say this, but I always hate when people say this time it's different because it's never fucking different, right? <laughs> I mean, but is there any chance this time it's different? Because there's been enough in the way of beating our heads against the wall and having our heads beaten against the wall on both sides that the EMP community could sit down with the oil field service community and say, look, when I have pressure or when I have the leverage, I beat the shit out of you. And then when you have the leverage, you beat the shit out of me. Can we call a truce? Cause it, you know, cause it does seem like we're going to have way less in the way of drilling, at least for the foreseeable future. Debatable. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Go more. <laughs> but you know, no, I mean, you, you know, and so, you know, in terms of projects and all, you probably have more predictability, I would think, in terms of maybe the the needs and not the holy shit, we found a new play in in uh you know the Bakken and we gotta move all the rigs up there and we gotta move all the service equipment. Any chance the two sides get together and sort of rationalize and come up with something better than just let's beat the shit out of each other whenever we can. And trust me, I asked that question having grown up with three brothers. So I, I get the answer is going to be no, but I was going to say in a perfect world. Yes. Right. But you know, there's, there's too many players. There's too much ego. There's too much money um, right now where that would actually really happen. I mean, cause that's the thing you're, you're, you're still seeing from an operator perspective outside of material cost inflation that we're seeing, you know, you, there are a lot. There's still a lot of competition out there, um, and and we're you're seeing a lot of people still execute irrational pricing strategies, burning inventory and stuff to stay alive, because you know you as a company, depending on you know what what your real exit potential is or or merger potential or something, you know you're gonna stretch how far you can potentially kick that can down the road because you know it might not be different two, three, four years from now, and so. You know, you pair that with, I think, companies' real ability to stretch it out versus, you know, collectively coming together, I think in a real world, uh, not so much. I mean, uh, historically, you look way back, right, when, when EMPs controlled a lot of that in terms of innovation and technology and then really kind of diversed away to, you know, the, the power of innovation or, or tech to, to service companies, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, you know, some of that's coming back, right, with, with I would say, whether it's a internal venture fund or some of the things that they do, but it's nowhere near on the level that I think will, will be, you know, the sort of bridge that you talk about, especially now you pair with how much of that focus is being diverted towards maybe some of the, the greener or the energy transition tech. And so they're, I think they're going to rely on the service side, and I think it's going to be the service side on itself that, he, you know, he makes an effort to get stronger, right? So. Yeah. so I've always had the take on oil and gas that we're literally the most inefficient business on the planet. Like the DMV is more efficient than us 
except. And the big except is always, the big except is always if there's something we can do that in effect gives us a big, huge magnifier in value, we spend money on it. We get amazing technology on it. I call it the lottery ticket. If I can buy another lottery ticket with my money, I will do it. So I'm thinking, you know, 3D seismic. I mean, the technology there, late 90s, was amazing in terms of what it did. You know, the shale revolution, horizontal drilling, multi-stage factory, just amazing the technology, you know, and what it did. So two kind of things to, and take it wherever you want, is one, is there a next technology that in effect gives us a lottery ticket? Are there things that when we're back here in three years, five years, that I'm going to be going, dude, kudos to you. You called it that that was the next wave. And so if there are, run with that. If there aren't, what does that mean for the service companies, you know, and the EMP companies? Do we, for the first time ever, see, you know, digitization of all land files and we get rid of clerks and stuff? So, so what's happening over the next three years? Is there a technology? If not, what are we doing? Well, I think you hit one of them right off the bat, whether it's digitization or automation, and it's just not, you know, land files. It can be from, uh, you know, controlling more, let's say, existing infrastructure and artificial lift or something like that, that, you know, you can much more effectively do it through machine learning or computers versus, you know, having eight different people only cover 100 wells. You could have one guy with the best computing power in the world cover 10,000 wells. Um, yeah, and, do we and, really have to have yeah. a pumper drive by a well every yeah. day? The same thing, right? When you have machine learning looking at rodware over time or predictive analysis to think, hey, this well's going to fail in X amount of you know, time more so than you know, Billy Joe out there going to uh, figure every single well out. And so it's both you know, manpower intensive and, and, and time consuming. So you know, that, that you can apply to every single aspect of uh, oil and gas for the most part. And so a lot of that is coming. Um, that also comes with a... a, a you know, a major different skill set than traditionally a lot of our industry has had, whether that's, you know, programming, data analytics, machine learning guys, you know, AI people that, you know, it's, it's, it's drastically changing, I would say, much more of the traditional uh, hands-on engineering role. And so, uh, you know, that's, there's, there's going to be some shortcomings of skilled personnel and, you know, that's a whole other rabbit hole of how we attract those people uh, into our industry as well and, and, and keep them here to, you know, really work and achieve some of these really digitization goals. Um, the other, some of the other things, like let's kind of take this uh, down its logical time path, right? So, I mean, we all, you know, there's, there's, there's a million different comments you can see on inventory and, and what's our run rate actually and call it even, you know, U.S. shale and how much time do we have left from a primary development point or do we start, you know, infilling the infill and, you know, just getting even closer and, and so, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the, you know, big people with crystal balls and uh, are, are really thinking, okay, so what's the what's the secondary or tertiary life cycle of shale? Uh, you know, we 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 haven't really seen it for the most part. Like you've seen some strategies like huff and puff, or uh, you know, some some things of gas saturation and and you know some other methodologies that have that have really looked at how do we improve that with the existing infrastructure and by infrastructure, I mean, wells already in the ground, you know, what does that look like as opposed to, you know, a more conventional based asset? And so, you know, there's a lot of people putting time and money into that sector because, you know, we feel like inherently they're, 
there there could be something there because we we we've got the best oil in place calculations in the world, right? And we see what recovery factors and total EURs are from shale development. And you're like, okay, it's still there, right? right? We've got wells in the ground. You know, is there anything we can do? And you know, I we've seen ideas whether they're you know using something with co2 or miscible gas that also has a you know a carbon aspect to it that's you know gaining a bit of momentum seen a lot of new solutions in the chemical space trying to you know solve some of these things whether it's perm modifiers or or, you know something like that and so there's 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 a lot of things out there i would say that 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 focus on sort of what's what's the real eur or ior potential of shale and then you see a lot of I would say another bucket is is more so on on the recomplete side potentially, right? You know, is is that a route we have to go down to? I would say a larger scale than what we've done historically, because anyone will tell you, right? You can have the greatest refrac or recomplete budget in the world, things change a little bit, and you're going to get from the top roped from you know your <laughs> your normal exploration or or your normal primary development team, and so as those areas start to dwindle, whether it's inventory or economics, maybe, you know, geographic differentials or something, you know, you might see certain things shift and then it's a whole nother ballgame of what does that look like? So, you know, without really going down a whole lot of other paths, those are some of the top three areas that are at least interesting to me. You know, and, and let me throw three things at you that I see as impediments to that. And number one just volatility of oil price and what we do as an industry in terms of oils at a hundred, we hire everybody under the sun oils at minus 37, we fire everybody. Right. And so every time, every time. (laughs) So if I want to walk into Stanford, Harvard and my alma mater rice, I'll go ahead and just throw that out there. Um, you know, you want to, uh, walk into that and get the smartest person there. Silicon Valley at least says, hey, you come to a startup, we fail. You get skills that apply to your next startup, you know, and there will always be a next startup. Microsoft, Google, Facebook all say, hey, we're big corporate culture. You can work your way up here. You know, there's a lot more in the way of stability, just learning to write code and the like than come over here to the oil and gas company and, you know, what's the joke about uh, McDonald's and Midland? We only hire geologists with a master's degree, you know? You're right. So it's Chick-fil-A get the PhDs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. By the way, I'm just going to say this because this is one of my favorite stories of 2021 so far. And I don't know if you've heard it. And I believe it was North Carolina. North Carolina is vaccinating people on a drive through basis. And the average wait time was an hour and 15 minutes. A Chick-fil-A general manager on his day off went down there and just said, hey, guys, do you mind if I help out a little? I mean, just on his own accord. Makes total sense. Yeah. At the end of that day, the average wait time was 16 minutes in terms of he just revamped the system. And I just love that story because that's so America, you know. Uh, So anyway, I didn't mean to change it. But one, we've got volatility and we've got a. We, we have to provide more stability to, to attract talent. Kind of in light of that, number two is, I think what you just said was great. AI, all of that sort of stuff to sit there and make things better. I think at the, day, at the end of the day, though, what that is making better is nickels and dimes and quarters. 
I don't think it's like wholesale Benjamins, a hundred dollar bill, which isn't bad. I mean, cause we all need to do that in a low margin business. The first thing you do is automate, you know, that's business school 101, right? And I think the issue we have on implementation and all that is you walk in with your AI uh, based lifting technology company and you say, here it is, ROI, you know, 3X, 5X, whatever it is, payback six months a year, what, you know, whatever it is. And somebody goes, great, we have no one here that'll do that. So I think one of the things we need to see in this industry is in effect the Anderson Consulting. You you need somebody that is an expert in that technology that can walk into the company and say, we're gonna implement this for you on a test basis, give me 200 wells, we'll take the learnings from that and then we'll implement it company-wide if it makes sense to do it. And oh, by the way, we're gonna, tra- we're gonna put in the systems, we're gonna train your folks so that it's in effect a turnkey. And that might even need to have financing with it as well. So that, that was kind of, so volatility is number one. And then uh, number two was we need some sort of financing uh, or some sort of Anderson consulting model to, to help implement all this because folks are sitting around without people. And then I think, I think number three just has to be management has to get out of this mindset of, we only manage towards the big lottery tickets, the home run, and we day to day try to squeeze a penny out of everything and digitize it all. And the only reason I have hope on number three is one, you have, you know, bomber in here for that matter, you young folks sitting there saying, Hey, we can do this. We understand it. We grew up with iPhones. But when I joined the board of Cottonwood Ventures and now they're called Montrose Lane, I'm on the advisory board there. Four or five like old school CEOs texted me and said, hey, Chuck, you got to come buy me a beer, grab lunch. Is this technology shit really real? Because my people are talking about it. So there may be some some receptivity there to do it. And, you know, <clears throat> some of that will happen with time, too. Right? I mean, as either people who are less they receptive. I mean, lead- <laughs> It's because like I, I've been in some meetings where it's like everyone bangs their head against the wall to try and you know always figure out what is potentially the best the best way forward and you know you kind of get to the bottom of the flowchart and you're like oh, Father Time is the answer right. because you know look there there are a lot of people that uh, are either set in their ways or you know it, it's it's difficult for 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 some people I'll, I'll I'll put it in a different perspective maybe where you know you're you're maybe towards the twilight it's a bit towards the end how much time and effort do you really invest to to get yourself up to speed and uh, you know i th- i think the best people do but you know there's there there's a lot of people who it's like man i i can coast this out and just kind of stick to what i know because i don't see uh you know i i don't see where it's going to maybe impact me for the time left and so it's it's also you know take that sort of same mentality to the bigger picture you know when people ask well, why would you focus so much on maybe some alternative methods or some of the energy transition or these green ventures as, you know, let's say the service industry as a whole? And it's like, well, it's not that, you know, anybody in that industry believes we're, we're donezo in 10 or 20 or 30 years. But it's like you can start to prep and look at, you know, the following 30 or 40 or whatever, because, I you know, I think 
most of the people that I engage with, both on you know the operator service, even the financial side, like it's not going away. And uh, it's got enough invested capital and enough tailwinds now to where you know you can start to start to plan for that. And and if maybe because you're call it spreading your wings a bit further across the energy spectrum, maybe it helps you know alleviate some of the financial constraint or allow some of the new ways to attract things that you know you might have the guise of we're building this for the energy transition, et cetera. But you know internally your business model is going to blanket both what you've developed it for and attract capital and push it back into the oil and gas sector. Well, it's interesting you say that. So by the time this drops, this podcast drops, the Digital Wildcatters Evolve Conference will have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they did is they they got me and Alan Gilmer to sit down and chat and be the old guys. And I don't even know if you've seen the ads they're running for it, but it's literally the Sesame Street old guys up in the theater you know, the, I haven't uh, seen that one. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. But you know those two old guys that used to comment on stuff on Sesame Street, and yeah, they're using that as the picture. <laughs> Listen to checking out, and one and and so we talked for three hours, and I don't know what's actually going to make it onto the conference yet. But one of the things we talked about, and I'm really serious about this, and I'm kind of adamant about this, is we lost the narrative in oil and gas. And I take this from the perspective of, number one, you look back over the last 200 years, what are the greatest things that have happened to humanity? Clearly vaccinations, clearly antibiotics, clearly hydrocarbons. I mean, nothing has done more for life expectancy, life quality than hydrocarbons. I'd say it's number one, but I, I would give somebody vaccinations, antibiotics, right? So we had the moral high ground. What I don't think the young guys on EFT realize is way back in the day, like in the 70s and the 80s, energy prices were counter cyclical to the economy. And so when oil was high, gas prices were high, it tanked the economy. So Texas was doing great. Oklahoma was doing great. And the rest of the economy would suck and vice versa. And instead of oil prices being high, the rest of the economy tanking and us taking the narrative of, okay, we're going to cut, you know, gasoline prices, 25 cents or 15 cents because we know America's hurting. We printed up bumper stickers that said freeze a Yankee. I mean, we were so (laughs) obnoxious. J.R. Ewing is a documentary. That That is not a parody. And unfortunately, this obnoxiousness and look, Exhibit number one right here. I will I will take blame on this. Um, we lost the narrative. We lost the ability to tell our side of the story. And so now what we have is we have a 16-year-old talking about climate change that people believe, people like, and they hate us. And the reason they hate us was self-imposed. I mean, we did it to ourselves by losing the narrative. And so what you just said and where I was going with this and what I would say to young people out there is, look, you need to capture the narrative back. It's about the good things we've done. You need to embrace that less carbon is our future. That is not the government saying that. Dan Pickering came onto our clubhouse. Jeff Davies and I, Energy Credit One, do a clubhouse every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Pickering came on and said, 
hey guys, this isn't the government. This isn't regulatory. This is companies, investors saying we want less carbon, sure. period. It's a tidal wave, you know, that, uh, that is not going to be stopped. So it is happening. And quite frankly, I think the science is uncertain. You don't have a model that's predictive and all yep. that. But I can say this, less CO2 is not going to hurt us, right? And let me say one more thing, and then I'm going to let you roll with this. It's just, so we need to embrace that. And where the narrative needs to go is we are the oil and gas companies. We have done all this great stuff with hydrocarbons. We're also the people to take you to less carbon. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to start injecting CO2 instead of emitting it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to lead that change. And we got to win the narrative back. Because if we don't win the narrative back, it almost doesn't matter if we're 100% right about the science. Yeah, I I agree with you on the narrative aspect. I don't see a lot of people doing it, though, in terms of winning it back without a heavy level of compromise in terms of what you're not necessarily caving to, but you are really positioning yourself uh, in a way that, you know, they, they know what they're doing that in terms of spinning the, the narrative on the non-carbon or what's next or playing to their audience. Because like you said, a lot of the science is unproven. The, the methodologies themselves are massively untested. Look how much uh, capital has gone into the new tech there that you know, may or may not work, but they'll spin all of those same narratives of, you know, for, for the future. So um, I think, you know, anyone in the industry is, is definitely not oblivious to, to, like you said, one of the monumental achievements that, you know, hydrocarbons given those same people the ability to discuss and bitch and moan about it you know because of all of the accomplishments it's done and so you know i i think that's a great question of, of how do you take it back you know um and be maybe take a harder stance on it and re-emphasize all of the good things it does um you know without without being relabeled number one i mean it's a it's a fine line and it's a it, it's a push and pull that i think a lot of large companies are trying to navigate right now and some are you know more heavy one way or uh, are the other right but i mean uh, can, can you think of an example that like, a single one that's taken a hardline stance maybe back on just you know sole hydrocarbon no <laughs> but that being said and pickering brought this up so i need to give credit where credit's due if you're a five billion dollar emp company staring at this tidal wave what do you do I mean, are you, hey, we're just an oil and gas company. That's all we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. And you potentially are riding into oblivion at some point. I mean, I'm, I'm in the Charlie Munger camp hey, of we're going to burn every hydrocarbon. Yeah. No, I think, you, I think you pull an Exxon, right? I think they, they know what their core business model is. And, and you know, Exxon's just the biggest example that's, you know, very visible. Right. Th they know reality, right? right. I mean, you can... You know, and and they'll they'll turn the rest of it into you know what I like to call a, a traditional marketing exercise, where you know yes we've got some decarbonization programs, yes we're not uh, you know oblivious to the investor sentiment and the headwinds and you know right. potentially even uh, regulatory pressure, but at at its core you know they're they're still sticking to their guns. Now could they potentially do a better narrative of you know what? To combat some of those things, yes, but that's what I mean. It's sometimes difficult from I would I would say a a PR perspective to do you know to have these two sort of devil and angel hands of of how to put them both together and come up with the with the perfect solution. I mean, counter to that though, there are companies that have maybe gotten a little further out over their skis and almost 
you know, really forgot where they come from and are trying to buy their way into the future, if you will. And that could end terribly for them. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the way I kind of think about it and rationalize things because I agree. I mean, BP's just being reactive, right? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that while you're drinking your coffee. But, you know, it's just, you know, if it, it feels like, I surrender, I surrender, you know. Um, What's crazy, too, is, I, I mean, it's just not them either, right? I mean, I know there are, like, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been a part of some internal conversations, too, where, I mean, people, depending where they're located or, or their, you know, uh, executive teams, depending on their age or or their their backgrounds, are you know they get even jealous of that strategy. Like, oh look how look how progressive or look how forward they are. And so you get both sides of the coin, right? Depending if it's a company, a person, you know the the type of people you have, a culture. And so you know I've seen complete opposite ends of the spectrum, um, and uh, you know, but I, I'd say the majority are still somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, I think the level of recognition has come a long way in five years. Even maybe ten, right? Uh, but I mean, really, I think within I'd the last, I'd say even in two, two, yeah, yeah. that's where like, you're going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 really amplified, and so you know, look, as in anything with any type of change, whether it's cultural, you know, technology, you, you name it, right? You're going to have some people who are laggards, and you're going to have some people middle of the road watch and see what the other two people do, and you know, uh, and make their things accordingly, and you're going to have some people who step on the gas and go full, you know, go pull a pull a BP. Because I think what the compromise could be, and, you know, call me Pollyanna and a little bit of wishful thinking, I actually think what the compromise could be is, hey, let's do as much of this production as we can in the United States. Let's not kill our business, because if we're here in the United States, one, you've got the U.S. government looking at us, you got state governments looking at us, you got the media looking at us. So you do have oversight there. The market is telling us they are willing to pay higher prices for less carbon. I mean, that that is what investors are saying. That's what companies are saying and the like. And if we could create, and I am a free market guy, free trade guy, but, you know, if we could say, hey, guys, let's do as much of it as we can here you're going to have to pay a higher price for it, but oh, by the way, I'm going to you know seal my well site so that there are no emissions. I'm going to you know reinject the CO2 sure. so that it doesn't. I mean, tick on down the list. I'm going to plant this number of trees. And oh, by the way, can we please have some data on exactly trees and <laughs> what they do? I think the fact we don't have any data there says trees are more effective decarbonization uh, instruments than we really know. But well, I mean, aren't there? I mean, there are some carbon credit companies. That's all they're doing is they're selling you offset carbon credits on like X number of acres that they have for trees. Like that's actually a business model, right? So, uh, you know, it might either benefit or you know negate them of what they're doing. So right. maybe they're, right. they're they're the ones holding the data. But you know, to that point, I think I think the best operators will do that. Um, in terms of navigating that, you know, whether it's a regulatory spectrum or what, uh, you know, in very harsh investor sentiment, I think the best ones will be able to run both of those strategies side by side. Um, they will able, you know, you'll be able to look at decarbonization efforts. You'll be able to really tick the boxes on your E efforts, whether it's, you know, full full leak detection and then mitigation, right? You, you, you can tick all that down here. You can figure out how to reduce your overall carbon footprint. You can do some of the full decarbonization, whether it's, you know, carbon capture and 
like sequestration, which you know, as a as a broader thing, is still kind of up in the air of you know, is it even worth it? But that's a that's a whole other podcast. But I, 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 you will see this happen in parallel, and we are seeing that happen now, right now. You know, do do you see some people stick to their guns, and maybe some of the guys who have a better profile get maybe that puts a better buyout target on their back because they already have it, and it becomes so paramount that you know it it, it makes somebody look a little more attractive, maybe. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to happen. And so with that, I mean, not just always to look at maybe what's next. I mean, that there, there is some opportunity and avenues there. And I think, I think that's one of the things that we've done sort of on a narrative perspective that's been difficult too. Because like you say, when you want to get the narrative back, um, it's, yes, I, 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 I think we do a horrible job of, you know, as an industry in a whole of really emphasizing all of the, you know, the, the luxuries and, you know, your standard of living now based on what we've done. Um, you know, putting that aside as, well, not not putting it aside, but assuming we can amplify that and, and you know, increase that narrative too is, you know, how do then we merge it with everything else? Because like you just said, it's not going to go away. And so I think whether it's from a technology perspective, whether it's a new company structure or, you know, some of these things that could go side by side and, you know, maybe there is a different version of, you know, an energy operator or a energy technology company, right? I mean, God, there's there's a huge number even in the service sector, right? They, you, you're not an oil field service sector company anymore, right? Right. You're an energy technology company, right? Right. I mean, I mean, dri- I mean, there's no drilling info anymore, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That that's always so funny. Is uh, you're a technology company when you can't pronounce the name, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I think if we could literally just win the narrative of, hey guys, if we're going to use a hydrocarbon, let's have it produced here under our rules and regulations that will eventually lead to less carbon in the air. Because if we don't do that, if we kill our industry off, it's going to get produced in Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Russia, tick on, you know, Libya, tick on down the list. And those guys don't care about the pollutants. Oh, yeah, I know. They just don't. Well, that was like the biggest, I mean, that was the thing when you saw a lot of the European super majors who obviously have, you know, much more pressure than, you know, some of the ones here stateside. But, you know, when they all started to look at their big divestiture programs, it's like, Oh, and you know we're going to do this, and so as a you know net net on my company, I'm really reducing my overall footprint. I'm like, yeah, but you just sold everything to CNOC, and now like you know they're going to rip it through the roof, and so like as a whole, you're potentially up ten percent globally or something like that, right? right? And so you know, I, so there is a lot of past the buck that that is going on, and and uh, you know I I just wonder, is it is it something as simple as capturing back the narrative, or you know do we do we really shift it right to something to where it's like you stop touting so much about the things that you've done and you almost try and build a strategy that that's inherent, right? Where look, you know, those people that we would win it back from, you might never win it back. And so that's the thing. Do you try and reshape it? I think, and, and this is, you know, in my mind to where it's much more complementary, um, not necessarily to green or whatever, but you, you build it to where, you know, the hydrocarbon aspect is a very, given model, you know, you assume it's where it's at. And so you, you see a lot of the, the additional marketing or pressure to, to appease sort of the other vocal base. And so it's, I think, you know, it's, that's what you're seeing across the industry. Uh, I, I would say as opposed to more of an uh, appeasement and redirection strategy than you are a take back strategy. Cause it, 
you know, I'm not a huge Trump fan. I'm a libertarian. Uh, I've only voted for the libertarian presidential candidate my whole adult life. Um, so I, I know I'm going to lose every year when I get a vote. But I think one thing Trump has right that goes against my belief, and I think COVID nailed this home, is there really does have to be a baseline kind of manufacturing infrastructure in the United States. We can't be dependent on China for all our generic drugs, for our N95 mask and all that. And and I think people are starting to buy that as a whole. If you just talk to the average American, hey, would you pay a little bit more, but we're going to have it here in the United States and we won't be held captive to China. That's what I kind of think. It's just like, it's, it's like less than a pitching wedge away to say, let's do the same thing with energy. We're going to pay a little more. We're going to be able to decarbonize it better because, look, at the end of the day, selling it to a CNOC, it's going to pollute. And at the end of the day, you know, it's still China and building, what, three coal plants a week or sure. two a month or whatever it is. I mean, that's it's a lot. still... I mean, Japan, yeah, China, India, they all have a a good number coming in too. But I mean, I, I, I think one of the funniest things I saw on that, uh, was, uh, I was at, I was at some conference and, and, uh, there was something about looking at the, you know, in terms of power generation versus total electric hybrid or ICE. Right. And it was like, if you follow this timeline on ICE, uh, you know, we're, we're okay. We can do the decarbonization and it actually looked relatively okay. Um, and, if you followed it fully on electric, based on current power grid power generation, it's like a global study as well. I mean, they kind of looked at that profile, um, and it was it was on par, only like two percent better. And then if you looked at hybrid, it was the best. It was like the outperformer by a long shot, because that kind of model and that usage is in line with what we have today in terms of power generation. And I, I think you've probably nailed it on some other aspects and or other uh, podcasts or things you've mentioned in terms of. You know, if you tried to go full EV tomorrow, like, you know, where where does it come from? And so uh, I think that's where I think you might get some narrative capture back and really how to fight the fight, not necessarily say, you know, like, you know, everything we do in oil and gas is awesome as that, but really, really, I would say point the conversation to both sides of the spectrum, the supply and the demand side. We seem to do a very good job of, you know, only talking about one or the other or the market will attack one or the other narratives. And so, you know, Taking taking maybe both avenues down that road is something in the future, but you know, I, I that's that's almost beyond me, right? I, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely definitely uh, above the uh, Chuck Yates needs a job <laughs> podcast where we talk about Budagate and send pizzas to people going on dates. So, right. when is the Budagate follow up? <laughs> By the way, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, no, I, it was funny because in December. EOG permitted a re-entry into a Buddha well in Madison County. And I was going, oh my gosh, what if this is it? But uh, supposedly there has not been the big land grab yet, uh, but some brokers have kicked around. So we'll see what that happens too. I'd be interesting to see if, you know, let's say, let's say our, our industry does clean itself up and maybe some of these plays or areas you haven't heard of in a, in a, in a long time start to come back. And uh, you know, I've, been a while since i've looked at a smack over well so. <laughs> <laughs> or or i think i used to say all the time it's like look you know every now and then you gotta you you gotta plow through a you know a four to get a 10 so it's about that time we go tack 
tack a TMS well down again, <laughs> just so just so we can remember. You know, people are like, oh, the water cuts in the Delaware, horrible. And it's like, look, go 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 drill a quick TMS well and figure it out, or just or, just, or go 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 try and dewater the Hunton again. That's another that's another good one. But uh, when I was at Kane, we probably drilled. 20 or 25 Moro wells. So, you know, that's kind of the Oklahoma panhandle type formation. Cause it would just periodically you'd have this massive well, right. Yeah. And you'd offset it all, you know, all four ways and just nothing like literally dusters. And, uh, so every time it would always be like, man, we're drilling this well, but if we could just go down another thousand feet or 2000 feet, we'll get to see the Moro. And we always did it, and it was always a duster. And so the joke was the geologist dies, goes to heaven, sitting with St. Peter. You've been such a good person, my son. We will grant you one wish. And the geologist goes, will you just show me the fucking Morrow map? I want to see it. So. I mean, there are, yeah, God, there are so many plays and so many areas that you could say that about. Like, oh, it was all yeah. It was always the kiss of death to drill a great well on the first well because you had no idea why it was a great well. You know, you you had a theory and you tested it, but theories are never right on no. the first time. You know, that's why we have science. We run experiments. That's why we run placebos because it's you know you've got to <laughs> test it. But. I don't know what's worse because I've been a part of both where you drill the absolute banger right off the start and then it's six in a row of just air. <laughs> or, or I've been a part of, you know, you, you drill f- five or six in a row, just absolute, you know, dogs. Right. And then on that last one where it's like, you know, I mean, there's plenty of operators who it's like, this is it. This is the last one. We hit this. We're on a well by well because we get it. And you kind of get that last one. I don't know which one's better. Like yeah. in terms of a personal experience, like because, you know, ones of sheer bliss, you know, stepping up to the plate and you knock it out of the ballpark on the first pitch. The other one's bottom of the ninth two outs and you have to get it so and what would always happen to to us is is with each well you wouldn't hit the home run or score the run but you'd have just enough in the way of improvement that you got a couple of guys on base in the next inning you're like all right we're gonna score the run this time and it never happened so it's almost you know i i to some degree i i wish and I'll, i'll make the distinction here i wish u.s unconventional development played a little more small ball Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I think that's what, you know, when, when you see some of the differences between, you know, let's say Canada and the U.S. or just individual company or, or engineer styles of, of what they've done, right? You know, the, the optimizing development or certain development strategies has been wildly varied. And, you know, you, you see people go from, you know, absolutely kind of like where baseball is at now, just trying to uplift and swing for the fences every time. Versus, you know, some of the small baby steps on, you know, hey, our first mission is to get somebody on base, you know, use those returns, change in small patterns. But, you know, where you know, it and fr- from a time scale perspective, you know, we've it, it's it's been very black and white. Some people say, no, that's not true. Like more. What are we on now? Gen seven, gen eight, maybe. But you got to think like that's happened in an incredibly fast time period in terms right. of like shale. Right. I mean, yeah. like, all of that in under a decade. And so it's like, you know, w- could have we done a little, you know, maybe things have been, would have been better with some, some more incremental steps and some small ball. So it's so funny like, you say that because we would sit in board meetings at Kane with portfolio companies and, 
you know, at the end of the day, you would never back a CEO that's 100% pessimist because they'd never get anything done, sure. right? You know, and so generally speaking, the way it works is the CEO's the optimist sitting there as the private equity guy on the board. We're the pessimist. And usually the answer is right or closer to right, the, the interplay between the two. Um, I used to always tell this story. I'd say, hey, we need to play small ball here. There have been more three-run innings or more, so three runs or more in an inning, without a home run than with a home run in Major League Baseball history. And everybody would sit around and nod their head and all that sort of stuff. About a week later, I'd call the CEO and say, I have no idea if that stat's true or not. I just made it. I just made it up, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just I had to get nail on my point. So, well, more. One of the things we've been doing on the podcast here the last, uh, I think basically in 2021, so I think we've done six or seven of these so far, is I ask all the guests to give me a playlist. And you take that, you take that, um, wherever you want to go with it. I've had some people give me two or three songs. I've had Bomber give me two hours and 15 minutes. I told him, I said, hey, Bomber, I'm uh, I'm going to listen to your podcast on the Peloton. And so he damn near killed me with that. So give me your playlist, however you want to do it. Tell me what the songs are, what it means to you. In the case of Bomber and the two-hour, we didn't talk individual songs. We just talked the theme that he put together with. So so lay it on me. When Moore's hanging out, when Moore's thinking music, what comes out? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fragmented for me because I, I, I have two major sort of areas that I love. Um, and one is, I think, heavily influenced by um, my father, because, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, everything growing up in my house between either my parents was, you know, a lot of Diana Ross or, you know, a lot of Warren Zevon or Frank Zappa, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, stuff like that. So a lot of that um, uh, is really on my playlist. Like I would say, you know, Talking Heads and Warren Zevon are probably two of my favorite bands. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, that's that's always sort of my 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 go-to driving stuff or you know even even working like I'm one of those guys that I, I almost have to have music on to to uh, to read so um, I would say for sure talking heads like I think stop making sense is probably you know my favorite album ever uh, if not definitely the best live maybe uh, right. you, uh, you know recorded concert documentary or you know performance that 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 uh, I de- first music video I ever saw uh, was uh, talking, you know, because that was way before MTV, right? Yeah. You know, and uh, and uh, when things go by, uh, the, yeah. that was the first music video I ever saw. Did you see David Byrne on Saturday Night Live like within the last two years? I did. Yeah. Was that not amazing? It was. Same I, as it ever was. I, I I always tell my wife like that. I would I would love to see some sort of reunion show with them because their songs I know uh, through the back of my head. And I think when when I first met my wife too, and we were going through you know my my albums and and uh, she she saw a couple of these and has no idea. Like like Warren Zevon's a, a perfect example one too, where she had never heard you know a single song. Maybe you had heard Werewolves of London like at a bar somewhere, right. but, you know, some of the other stuff, like, you know, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner or Lawyer Guns and Money, some of these are, uh, you know, she never heard. And now I think she can sing everyone along along with me. And so, you know, that was, 
uh, that was something that you know I'd, I'd never gotten to see him either and you know he's he's deceased as well but um, you know, Lawyer, of, Lawyers, Guns, and Money was on Bombers yeah, playlist. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a great song. Like those are those are two of my just absolute go tos. And then, bizarrely enough, I think everything else is is uh, is Houston rap. No way. Yeah, uh, you know everything from um, as old as some of the some of the old Screw tapes or or Pimp C or DJ DMD, uh, you know, and Fat Pat. Like that is that that is actually probably more than my always go to stuff. Some of that that that. Uh, that mid '90s to early 2000s, when you know Houston was really on the map as the third coast, like some of that stuff is out there. That I, I just, you know, I, I listened to it when I was younger, and, and it uh, it was kind of perfectly right there at the time when when things started to peak, and there was a lot of it, and it got more national recognition. And I think why it it's so ingrained in in me is because right after that, like when I said I I left the U.S. and didn't come back for almost a decade. <laughs> so it was kind of the last thing that was on my God. I don't even know if it was an iPod at that time, right? But but it Sony was, Walkman, uh, yeah, tape. something. Yeah. I mean, it was the that busted hard drive that I that I took from school, you know. And then, uh, you know, it, it that was just the playlist that I had for almost a ten years, bouncing all over, you know, the world. And so, <laughs> for for probably half a decade, I was just stuck with what I had listened to, like in college. And so that's why I mean, those things are like still in my mind. I would say so, you know. <laughs> You know, when you sit around in a bar with some buddies having a beer and you go down the rabbit hole of greatest American athlete or whatever, and uh, and you try to have an answer that's outside the cliche just so you can kind of start a debate and all, and ooh, that's a good take or something. Texas music, you know, if you say greatest Texas song, obviously you go to like Willie Nelson, Robert Earl Keane took on down the list. Mine is always mind playing tricks on me by the ghetto boys. Nice. That's the that, one I throw that's out. A good right. One. Yeah. You know, I, arguably the greatest Texas song. I, I mean, ghetto boys, I think are, you know, especially we talk about Houston. I mean, they, they, they gotta be top three, if not one. Um, and, uh, uh, it it was almost sometimes a a binding factor. You'd be you know you'd be deep water off the coast of middle Africa or, or or somewhere, and you know if if you had someone who was relatively your age or something like that, we 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 would do a lot of bonding over that. Where you know you would steal it or you'd steal the PA system, and then all of a sudden you know like Mister Twenty Five Eight comes on from you know DJ DMD, and you're just like some of the guys on there who you know will, will absolutely jam to it. And so there was a while there where like there were a couple of us I know that I, I bounced around the world with that. You know there are, there are some unique parts of this planet that were introduced to you know Houston rap through 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 a couple of us. More like, drilling, like <laughs> more drilling records. <laughs> yeah, it was because uh, I mean that's 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 all there was. Like I have you know I have been to to fortunately, and that's another thing I think you know when people. People do talk about why would you get into oil and gas or why would you stay in it as well. I mean, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to visit, you know, almost 70 percent of this planet. And because that is the way this is the one industry that will take you to places you never knew existed and never could identify on the map. I mean, I've been to a lot that I couldn't probably repoint out. Right. Right. And, you know, that is that is something to show, like the 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 breadth and what we've done to give people the resource and you know, the, the lifestyle they have through some of those exploration efforts. And, you know, there's, there's, there's the part of me that wish, you know, we would get back to some of that. Cause you know, those, uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible experience. And, you know, for, for people that are looking to, 
you know, and, and it is still there because, like you said, like, I mean, global demand isn't going to go any way. We sometimes tend to forget how global of an industry it is. Right? I mean, it's very easy to look at some of the bad players in shale or some of the other things that are going on between, you know, the environmental aspects of different parts of the world and, and oil companies. But it is really truly a global industry. And I think that is one of the things that will keep me in it forever because you won't get to travel. You get to work with people from all over uh, the world. And I think, you know, one of my first mentors I can remember is, you know, there's something I love more than this industry and any other industry on this planet is that you get to work with the dumbest and smartest people on the planet <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> more drilling. That's awesome. Dude, you were cool to come in and do this. Thanks, man. man. Well, thanks for having me, man. Dude, I, hope- I appreciate you coming into the Audio Realm Studios in Richmond, Texas. Yeah. I was a little worried coming in right after roll call, but, you know, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did. The breakfast tacos got us through. Yeah. Cool, man. Really appreciate you doing it. Thanks for having me.